Amen. I think, uh, I think Pastor Greg hit the nail on the head right there that I know uh, for me, you know, if you'd have asked me in January, you know, hey, do you ever take gathering together physically for granted? Um, I'd have told you no. I said, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I look forward to it. It's unique. I love it every time. But I'll tell you what, I think there was a season here where I realized maybe I was taking it for granted a little bit. Uh, maybe I wasn't fully invested every single service uh, like God would have me to be. Uh, because you always know, in the back of our minds, we always can think, well, there's next Sunday. Right? Well, there's next week. And there's next service. Um, and so hopefully this morning you are excited to be here. I know I am. Um, I, amen. I do want to share real quick. Um, I was going to say something when I was kind of talking about TJ and how good a job he did and praying for Danielle because, you know, the joke is she's married to TJ. But, and I was going to say something, but then I was like, oh, wait, am I supposed to say? I think I could say something. Um, some of you may know this, uh, but they're expecting their first child. And so, yeah. I was like, I, can I say it? I don't know if I could say it yet because I don't know if it's public knowledge. So I went back to him in the sound booth and I was like, hey, you guys are telling people, right? And he's like, uh, yeah, it was on Facebook. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, all right, we're good. Yeah. I knew I saw it somewhere, but I couldn't remember if that was like in a text message or what. So um, I'm not going to say we had a little bit of an inside scoop, but we did. Okay, so uh, we may have known a little earlier than y'all, but that's okay. I mean, it's just, you know, they love us more. So let's get into, uh, they don't really love us more, but anyway. Uh, James chapter 4. If you have a Bible this morning, James chapter 4. And, uh, you know, I was really, uh, guys, over the last couple of weeks, I've been really praying about, you know, Lord, what would you have me to share when we come back together? And there was quite a few things that ran through my mind. Um, I'll admit some of them might have been more flesh-driven than spirit-driven. Uh, I'll just be transparent and say that happens even to pastors. Um, and I was just really praying over it, you know, and I kind of going into this week. So, so like end of last week, beginning of this last week, um, like Monday, I was like, okay, I kind of think I know where I'm going to go. Um, but as the week went on, uh, God really started to kind of lay some things on my heart through the week and just some things that I was thinking on. And, and I really couldn't get away from one reality. And that reality is that, that this life is short, that's what I really kept coming to this last week. And, and, and the title of the message this morning is One Life to Live. Um, how many of you used to watch that soap opera back in the day, One Life to Live? Anyone? A couple people sheepishly raised their hands. I said back in the day, you could get away with it. You'd be like, oh, you know, it was before I was a mature believer. Um, some of you DVR'd them and like watch them back. On. Remember that one? That was the one, okay. Uh, General Hospital was another one. But when I was thinking about that idea of one life to live, there was two things that came to my mind. One was the soap opera, which came to my mind. And it kind of made me realize that this life can kind of feel like a soap opera sometimes, can't it? You kind of feel like you never know what the next twist is going to be, what the next turn, the next plot twist is going to be. Like you think you got it all figured out and then bam, you're hit from nowhere with some news or information or, or somebody, something happens in your life and, and all of a sudden you're just kind of thrown into this whirlwind. The reality is that life is shorts. And you know, we all know this, right? I think everyone in this room is mature enough to a point to know that, that life is short. We know that this life, this side of heaven is not forever. There will come a point where we step from this life and we will be with him forever. That's when eternal life really kicks in. I mean, we're living eternal life now, but one day we will die no more. Amen. And so I was really praying about this, but I was like, Lord, 
first Sunday back, are we really going to talk about life being short? Like, is that, that's not real like, yay, we're going to die one day. You know, like, that isn't really like, ah, I was just like, Lord, I don't know. But it just, it just kept coming back to me all week that, that really life is short. You've been given one life to live. One, just one. You don't have many, you have one. And so it is so important that all of us, and actually it's kind of crazy, I saw something this morning that reaffirmed again that, that God would have us to talk about this. That somebody shared something, and I was reading it this morning, I thought, Lord, you are so good. That's exactly where we're going to be going this morning. It is so important that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Hebrews says what? We look unto Jesus, the author and the what does that mean to be the author of our salvation, of our very faith? He is the origin of my saving faith. It didn't start with me. I would have never saved myself the way that Jesus saved me, right? And if I could have saved myself, I would have lost myself a long time ago. What is it John MacArthur says? If I could lose my salvation, I would, right? Praise God that he is the author. And then hear this now. He doesn't just begin our faith and give us the seed of faith. Romans, every man is given a measure of faith so that we may believe. He doesn't just give us that. What does it say? He's the author and the the perfecter, the completer. You know what that means? What he began in you, Philippians 1.6, he will finish. So when we talk about one life to live, it's not a, a... saddening thought. It's not a depressing thought. It's actually a sobering reality that brings us greater joy. It's a truth that helps us understand that, man, we have this life gifted to us by God, and how we live it matters. How we live this life matters because life is short. This last week, what kind of brought me to this reality of of bringing this message before you today was, it all started, some of you know, I shared a post on Facebook uh, last weekend, May 9th, uh, was 14 years uh, after I was in a pretty bad car accident, and I shared some pictures of the vehicle on Facebook, um, and, and literally should have died, should not have lived. There's no way I should have lived through that accident. Um, some of you know the, a couple people, actually a few people, that were on the firefighting, uh, the volunteer firefighters for Attica and, and Goodland. They were involved in the scene, and they were some of the first ones on scene, and, and one of them knew my vehicle because I had a, uh, a Kelvin sticker, not Calvinist, Kelvin, difference, okay? Calvin sticker, uh, he was bowing before the cross on the back of my car. And this, this gentleman saw that sticker and recognized it was my car from being here at church and everything and, and turned around to walk away. And the other guy said, hey, what are we doing? We got to get in there. And he said, I don't want to see him. I know he's gone. There's no way he lived through that. And back then, 14 years ago, when I came through all that, man, I was so aware. Life is short. I left the church that day going to the chiropractor. There's a life lesson. Don't go to the chiropractor, apparently. I was just going about my business. It, I, I didn't know. It wasn't like I was like, you know what? An accident sounds like a good idea today. Let's just go run into a semi-truck. That sounds like a fun thing to do. Nobody ever plans those things, right? But, but life is short. Now, for whatever reason, by God's sovereign providence and grace and mercy, he spared me that day. And I'm so thankful because I have two boys that I've been able to watch grow that weren't even thought of yet. I wasn't even married for a year yet. And so God has blessed me with 15 years of marriage and all of this. And, you know, that's Sandra's cross the bear, but we're not going there. 
But it got me thinking, man, life is short. So last weekend, I was like, you know, thinking through that and kind of reminiscing over that. This last weekend, uh, we shared it on Facebook. Nathan Raish, our Word of Life missionary, uh, lost his mother unexpectedly last weekend. Man, just a tragedy. Life is short. Friday, just a couple days ago, I went to a visitation for a young woman whose dad had passed away this last week. Just standing there talking with them and just kind of encouraging them. As many of you have done, you've gone to funerals and visitations where you've tried to bring comforting words, but what do you really say? You just say, I love you and I'm praying for you, and if you need anything, let me know. But as I was standing there talking with them and I was leaving the funeral home, I was thinking, man, God, life is short. Some of you, I've only shared this with a couple people, but this last week, uh, many of you know I have a stepdad who's really more like my dad. Uh, He's been in my life since I was about seven years old. If you know my brother Mike, uh, this would be Mike's dad, my stepdad, okay? Our family story, uh, we put the fun in dysfunctional, okay? Um, If you really want to know some crazy twists and turns, let me tell you about how my family (laughs) coexisted with each other for many years. But my stepdad, who uh, lives up in Caseville, um, and we see as often as we can, uh, was having some health issues uh, this last couple weeks ago. He went in, had something removed uh, that we didn't really think much about, and we found out Wednesday he has cancer. Life is short, guys. And you know what's crazy is, is as I was on the phone with him, and I hung the phone up, I told Sandra, I said, man, that is the last thing I thought I'd hear today. That is the the last thing. I mean, you don't ever think about that. And here's the thing. Some of you, many of you, have been in situations like this. Life is short, but God is good. Man, his grace and his mercy and his peace. There are some of you walking a road right now that you can completely relate with what I'm talking about experiencing. And I don't share that with you so that you go, oh, Pastor John, we feel really bad for you. Please don't feel bad for me. I would love your prayers for him. His name's Brian. If you want to pray for him, I'd appreciate that. But God's grace is so good. James chapter 4. It's amazing. God's word told us this. James chapter 4. Look at verse 14. Now, kids, if you're, if you're having a hard time, if your parents, rather, are having a hard time finding the passage, just help them out. To any of the kids in here, you tell their mom and dad, okay, go to James chapter 4, okay? Help them out, okay? So James chapter 4, verse 14. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And James is not pulling any punches here. He's being honest, and he's saying this because he has a great love for those that are reading this. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. I have no idea what tomorrow brings. Our life is called a vapor in Scripture which appears for a short time and then disappears just as quickly. The Bible shares this sobering reality with us from cover to cover, that this life is short and tomorrow is not guaranteed. Now here's the the truth of this. It should not cause us fear to think on that. It should not cause us to be fearful, but help us to see every day as a gift from the Lord to live in his grace and his presence for his glory. I jotted this down, and and I hope it's an encouragement to you. When we realize every day is a gift from him, 
for him, that's when living takes place. When we realize that every day is a gift from him, for him, that's when living takes place. Let me also say that this message convicted me in a lot of ways over the last couple of weeks. Like I said, over the last week and a half, I've really been thinking through this idea of life being short. And then God just kept affirming it over and over again through the last week. It's convicted me because I've prayed that I would gain new insight into my own life. If we're being honest, I believe we all need to understand that where we fail in living our life for him in the fullest, there is grace. See, as I preach a message like this, some of you are going to be tempted by the flesh to start beating yourself up. Because you're going to know pretty quickly where you've blown it. Anybody have a hard time seeing where they've blown it in their life? Anybody? I'm pretty good at that. So I can, oh, there's one and there's one and there's one and there's one, right? So this message isn't about us walking out of here with our heads down and beating ourselves up. It's about realizing, you know what, Lord? Have I been living this life, truly living this life with your glory in mind, with your your will in mind, that every day I would say, God, what would you have me to do today that I might glorify you and bring knowledge and fame to you? Because if we haven't, then we all have room for repentance. But that's the beauty of grace is we can repent at any time, not because God is, please accept me, like he's begging for our acceptance, but because he is so gracious to us. When we do turn and repent, he will receive us. And not because of you, but because of Christ, as we've already sung about. To live this one life in a God-honoring way is to realize, first and foremost, that our lives belong to God. First thing we have to know, the first point, if you will, if you're taking notes, the way we live a God-honoring life is to realize our lives belong to God. Your life is in God's hands. Your life is in God's hands. This is true because he is our creator, He is the one that formed us. He thought of us in his great infinite wisdom and and pulled us together in every intricate detail. There is nothing like the human body in all of creation. It It is truly a miracle to think about the intricacies and the details in our creation. Now, some of us are a little different than others. Amen. But every one of us are so unique. And if you've ever really stopped and thought about just the time and the value and the effort that God put into creating you, it will help you to know that you are not a nothing, a nobody, a mistake, or an accident. You are a purposeful creation of God. And you have value and worth, not because of what you do or what you've done, but because of who created you. You have value, intrinsic value. But... Because our life is in his hands and because he is our creator, he can give and take life as he pleases according to his infinite wisdom. And the truth is, he never does anyone any wrong. He never does anyone any wrong. He created human life and he decides what human life is for. I want you to think of the story of Job. After losing his children, Job says this, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. After losing his children, he says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job had an understanding that his children weren't even his. They were the Lord's and their lives were his hands to do with what he sees fit. He goes on to say later, in his hand, in the Lord's hand, 
is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. In his hand, in God's hand, is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Job had an understanding of the complete sovereignty and authority of God as creator over all of mankind. God, this is all yours. My very life is in your hands. It is difficult to understand what Job is saying when we are in the midst of it, when we are in the moment of uncertainty with a loved one. However, I believe that that is what faith is. When I can't figure it out and I don't know why, I can't put my finger on it, I don't know what's going to happen, I just say, God, this is all in your hand. This is yours to do with what you will. I heard a statement years ago in college, and I still think it's true. When I don't understand and I don't see the plan, I trust his heart. Hear me now. When I don't understand and I don't see the plan, that doesn't mean there isn't a plan, right? There's always a plan of God. Isn't it amazing that God is constantly working the universal plan for his glory? He is orchestrating things together. And I've heard it said this way. The prayer request that you're going to pray five years from now, he's already working on fulfilling that, that prayer request, answering that prayer request right now today. You haven't even prayed for it yet, and he's already working towards that goal. Isn't that, it's just crazy to think about how big our God is. There's always a plan. And when I don't see the plan, and I don't get why he's doing what he's doing, I trust his heart. Making it personal to me this week, I am praying that God will heal my stepdad of this cancer. I believe he can. I don't think there's anything beyond his control. I think he could just think a thought and it's gone. I have zero doubt in that. But I'll tell you this much. I also know I'm not sovereign God. It's not my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's your will be done. And if God's glory will be greater put on display through a different outcome, then that is in his hands. And I don't trust, or I don't challenge that. I trust. And not because my faith is greater than anyone else's or whatever. It's because God's word just reminds me over and over again, he is God. And I am not. So when we don't know, we don't understand, we trust that our life is in God's hands. Because this life belongs to God, let me encourage you this morning, as I've been challenged this week, don't waste it. Don't waste it. It is totally possible to waste this life in a sense of what we spend our life on. We are given this one life to make an impact for Christ, and the reality is we are here as a Christian in this world first and everything else second. As a follower of Christ, I am here Christian first, everything else second. I'm a Christian first, a dad second. I'm a follower of Christ first, a husband second to that. Now you might think, wait a minute, you can't have two seconds. You can't, how does that work? Is that second, like 2A, 2B, 2C? No, just follow the illustration, okay? Don't get too literal with this. The point is, I'm a Christian first. I'm in everything else second. Now this is where it might get a little, little toe-stepping on, okay? I don't mean to. This is how I've been kind of encouraged this week, and I pray that it'll encourage you. I heard a pastor say once when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs and the, you heard the loudest one yelp, that's who got hit, okay? So what do I mean by that? I am all for being passionate about our freedoms and defending our civil liberties. 
It's, it's been gifted to us by the, the blood of, of former people and ancestors that have died for our freedoms. I'm all for that. Speak out. Make your voice known. Share your opinions. I'm all for that. Defend your liberties. I'm all for that. But I, as a follower of Christ, I better be at least equally passionate about making Christ known as I am about defending my civil liberties as an American. And I wonder if some Americans in our country over the last seven, eight weeks, and I'm not talking about just us, I'm just saying Christians in America, I wonder how many Christians showed greater passion in defending their, you know, their first, second, third, whatever amendment rights than they ever have about the Great Commission. And that's not to make anyone feel bad about defending your liberties. What I'm saying is, I'm a Christian first. You do know that God's not in he- up in heaven with like a, you know, a star-striped hat on and, you know, a bald eagle t-shirt on, you know, and, and go red, white, and blue, shooting off fireworks, eating bacon, right? You know that's not God, right? Those are the most American things I can think of real quick. Fireworks, bacon, explosions, bald eagle, bacon. There's nothing more American than bacon and explosions, okay? It's kind of funny. Let's celebrate our freedom on 4th of July. What do I want to do? Let's blow some stuff up. Sweet. Let's do that. Man, I'm all for that. But God is not Uncle Sam. What does the Bible say? God is not a respecter of, man, his peculiar people. What does Peter say? What's, who's the peculiar people? The church, the body of Christ. We are his people. We are in this nation and we should defend our liberties and all of that. I, I agree. But it's been amazing to see just in our culture how many Christians were so worked up. And it just hit me a couple weeks ago. And, and I'll be honest, there's a part of me that was like, wait a minute, I've been doing that. I was getting all worked up about that. Do I get this worked up about, about Christ? I'm not talking about worked up like freaked out and stressed out. I mean passionate. When I have a moment to talk to somebody, am I... Am I going off about this or that thing that I'm, I'm not happy with, or am I starting with Christ and using this avenue to, to display Christ? Now, some might say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, can't you do both? Can't you be passionate for Christ and passionate? Yes, of course you can. But let's just make sure the passion for Christ is a little higher. I don't know, maybe a lot higher than the other one is what I'm getting at. Because the reality is, if we don't realize that we are a follower of Christ first and everything else second, then we'll waste opportunities in this life. One author said it this way, and I love this. Few things make me tremble more than the possibility of taking this one-time gift of life and wasting it. Few things make me tremble more, this author said, than the possibility of taking this one-time gift of life and wasting it. Again, let me say that we can all look at our lives and see areas that we are not utilizing for him. However, the key is, what is the desire of your hearts? Do you desire to live this life for him? Do you desire to please him in all things? But maybe you realize, I'm just not doing that as well in this area of my life, or I'm just not really focused over here. But Lord, my heart is this. I'm just not applying these things as well as I could. Then let me just encourage you. That's why you don't leave going, oh, I'm just a horrible person. No. Lord, thank you for giving me that desire. Help me to live this out in my life by your grace. I repent of that, I turn to you, and I move forward. Because guess what? In a couple of days, something may happen. It might get you distracted. You might get off focus, and you're going to have to say, Lord, sorry. I don't say we anticipate that and, and be okay with it. I'm saying we realize we're not perfect beings. And that's the beauty of grace. 
If you're here this morning and you say, no, I don't have a desire to live this life for him. I have zero desire to do anything that pertains to the will of God. I don't care about the will of God. I'm here for me. I'm here to live as comfortable as I can, to be as convenienced as I can, to have as much money as I can, to build as big of a house as I can, to just have all the stuff I want. I'm really, you know, this life is really all about me. And I'm not really concerned about God's will for my life. If that's you this morning, then my loving encouragement to you would be to pray. Ask God to speak into your heart and mind and say, Lord, do I really know you? If we can live this life with no regard for the things of God, I'm just challenging the reality that maybe we're not a follower of Christ in the first place. So maybe we need to do a little bit of, and and this is the thing too, you might say, well, then what do I do? You do the same thing we've all done. You pray and you say, God, I'm so sorry for my selfish pride, my attitude of, of disobedience and rebellion. I pray that I would receive your cross, your gift of salvation by the blood of Jesus Christ. Would you forgive me of my sins and I will live for you. And then you just move on with Christ. The beauty is no matter where you find yourself, you can choose to make your life from wasted to unwasted. So, the essence of an unwasted life. Let's, let's move through this second part of the message this morning. Uh, first time being live, so I'm trying to remember I can go a little bit more than my video desired uh, length. So, an hour and a half, I think, was pretty good. TJ and I talked, and we said the videos are about 25 minutes, 30 minutes. So, 45 minutes to an hour and a half is probably a good stretch to that. So, so we'll be here for a little bit. So listen to this. You guys are saying amen now. In six weeks, I'm going to remind, remind every one of you, be like, you said amen, and you said amen. So when you're mad at me, you said amen. Okay, just so you know. Okay, it's all on record. It's all on record. No, you guys have actually been always a blessing in that regard. I've never felt that way here, to be honest with you. I've never felt that pressure. So, and praise the Lord for that. But I know some of you, you're, you're like me, and you're, you're kind of a little ADD, and you're like, you know, what, what, what's going on? What? You just came back to us. You just woke up. Thank you for being here today. So the essence of an unwasted life. If we have one life to live, then we have to realize what does it look like to live this life for him. If you're taking notes this morning, the essence of an unwasted life. The first thing we have to realize, an unwasted life is a life that puts the infinite value of Christ on display for the world to see. The unwasted life is a life that puts the infinite value of Christ on display for the world to see. Life is given to us so that we can use it to make much of Christ. I don't know who needs to, but maybe somebody here needs to write that down. Life is given to us so that we might make much of Christ. That's why we were given life. This is true in our victories and in our failings in Christ. We do not merely magnify his grace when we overcome. We magnify his grace when we realize and recognize our sin and repent. It's not just in the mountaintops, which are great, and we can all praise God then. And we should praise God when he brings us to the mountaintops and the victories and the successes. God, thank you for this. We praise you for your grace and goodness. But when we go through the valleys and we go through the struggles or we realize there's a weakness in our life, we just as much magnify him and his grace. Philippians chapter one. Go over there just quickly. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at a couple of verses from Philippians. I thought it was interesting when, when Pastor Greg said, uh, referenced Philippians, I was like, oh, don't you take my verse. Oh, don't you do it. Philippians chapter 1, like it's my verse. What am I talking about here? Okay, 
That's right, yeah. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20. Again, the point of this life is to make much of Christ. Listen to what Paul says to the church at Philippi in Philippians 1 and verse 20. It says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope. So he says there's, there's this desire. He has a hope and an earnest expectation that in nothing I shall be ashamed. That in nothing I shall be ashamed. But that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says very clearly, man, this is my desire, that God, that Jesus Christ, that would be, he would be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. That's a bold and powerful desire. That's a pretty bold thing to say, that I would desire above all things, nothing else matters. This is what Paul's saying. The one thing I want people to remember, the one thing I want people to remember is that, that, that I live for Christ and that his grace was on display and that he was magnified. His glory was put on display. And that was Paul's desire, and I pray that's our testimony and our desire today. We might focus on the fact that Paul was willing to die for Christ, which is true. Doesn't he say that? He says, whether it be by my life or by my death. And then what does Paul consider death? He says, death to me is actually gain. Why is death for the believer gain? Because we go from separation from Christ in the physical to we die and what happens? Now we are united with him. We see him face to face. It's a, it's a gain. And I, I, I seriously wonder, not to spend a lot of time on this point, because I want to focus on the part of what he says about living by or allowing his life to magnify Christ. But, but I want to think about this. How many of us actually see death as gain? Now, I'm not talking about will you die for Christ. That's two different questions. I've met so many Christians. Oh, I would die for Christ. If I lived in these other countries, I would give my life for Jesus. I would die gladfully and, and that joyfully. I would stand at the stake and, okay, take it easy, okay? I don't know that that's really the case because you've never been in that situation. So maybe when they're tying you to the stake, your thoughts may change a little bit. I pray that's what will happen. But, but we always think about that. Well, I would die for Christ. No, no, no. What I'm asking is, do you see death as gain? And here's the point. I think it was John Piper that pointed this out. That was talking about the reality that so many Christians think, well, I'm good with dying someday once I do all this stuff. I, I hope I don't die before I can do this. I hope I don't die before I can do that. I hope I don't die before I can do this. When in reality, it should be, man, I want to go today. Not because I'm morbid or have this desire to die, because what does Paul say? I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart to be with Christ. I want to be with my Savior. Is your passion for Christ and your desire to be with him so great that you actually think, okay, Lord, is today the day? And it's not a morbid thing. I'm not talking about we like look forward to it, like looking for opportunities. I'm just saying, there's a big difference between, okay, one day when I die and the way future after I do all this stuff and I'm retired and all that. No, no, am I, am I ready today? Do I just want to be with him so badly? And I think we can have that desire and still look at it in an appropriate lens through Scripture and still enjoy every day he's given to us until that point. So Paul was willing to die, and he saw it as gain. But what does Paul also say? This is the part we don't always usually focus on. He says that it would be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And then he talks about the death. And then in verse 22, he talks about, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. 
So he goes on to say, if, as I'm living in the flesh, not meaning flesh separated from the spirit, but he means physical life, then this is what I want to have happen. This is what I desire. Right? I don't want to be ashamed of anything in Christ. I want to live in a way that honors him. So how does Paul show us that Christ is his treasure by life? How does, Christ, or how does Paul show that Christ is his treasure by life? Well, we see Paul explain this idea in Philippians chapter 3 a little bit more. Go over there. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. How is Paul showing us as an example that Christ is his treasure by life or in life? Philippians 3 and verse 7 says this, But what things were gained to me, those I counted for loss for Christ. Verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now, we're not going to unpack that word dung a little bit, little ears, but you can explain that to them if you feel that's appropriate. But I'm not even going to go down that road with your kids. Okay, because they're going to be like, the pastor said this word in church. Can I say this word? And then you're going to email me. It's going to be a whole thing. Okay, but I'm not talking about, wait, I should probably explain this. The, the P word, you know what I mean? Are we on the same page? The other word for dung? The P word? Okay. I didn't want you to think I was saying a different word. I started thinking about that. I was like, wait, no, not, not that word, because that word I wouldn't say anyway. But the other word, which I don't want to say because some of you might think. Anyway, so. Tell you what, man. You wouldn't think a ten and a half would fit so good, but right in. It just goes right in there. Okay. Philippians chapter 3, we read here in verses 7 and 8, Paul's Paul's view of his life. And if you notice, he actually kind of compares his present life to his other self, right? He talks a little bit about his pre-converted self and kind of how he talks about what he had over here and what he's actually lost. What does Paul say if we had to summarize it? Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And what I've lost, all that stuff, actually can't even compare to what I have now. And what does he have now? The knowledge of what? Jesus Christ. He's saying the knowledge I have of Jesus Christ as my Savior is so much more valuable than anything I had before. And so I willfully, joyfully give that up so that I can see this is a great treasure. So I counted all of it lost for Christ. And it's not a bad thing is what he's kind of getting at. I'm okay with losing all these things for Christ. Now, what did he lose? What were some things that he lost? Well, he went from being a highly respected religious leader in the Jewish community to hated by the Jews, right? I mean, imagine this for a moment. Paul was like the top, the top dog. He was the man, right? Born of this tribe, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I, was, I kept the law. I was zealous. I persecuted the church. Man, I was the, the, the top level example of what a Jewish follower of God should be. I was respected. I walked in a room and I had instantly had credibility. People liked me. People wanted to be around me. And then I surrendered my life to Christ. And I lost it all. Now I'm mocked and ridiculed and made fun of and, and despised by the Jews. And they've tried to kill me multiple times. I've been shipwrecked, by the way. I've been persecuted. I've gone through all these things. I lost all of that. 
And he says, but, but what I have in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it doesn't even compare to what means that the life that displays the worth of Christ, the unwasted life, is, that, is the life that uses everything to show that Christ is more valuable than it is. Let me explain what I mean by that. The unwasted life is the life that uses everything to show that Christ is more valuable than it is. Money is used, money is used to show that Christ is more valuable than money. You get that? My finances are used to show and display to others that Christ is more valuable than my finances. Because I'm willing to use my finances for whatever God deems fit. Because it's not really mine, it's his. Food is used to show that Christ is more valuable than food. Possessions are used to show that Christ is more valuable than our possessions. Everything we've been gifted in this life, we are willing to say, Christ is more than it, and I'm willing to give it up for Christ if he asks me to, and I'll use it for his glory if he blesses me with it. The way we put Christ on display, and really the way we display the supreme worth of Christ, is by treasuring Christ above all things. In doing this, we convey to the world around us that our deepest joys do not come from the things or people in this life, but from Christ. Now, let me clarify this point, because this is where some people might go a little sideways on me. This in no way means we do not find joy in others and situations and experiences in this life. We find great joy by enjoying family, friends, and experiences together, making memories with our kids. All those things are good and fine and should be enjoyed. But here's the difference. And I said it a few weeks ago. I pray that some of you who have been home with your kids more than you would have been, I know it's an extra stress, an extra weight. I know there's more work. I know there's more things to do. I get it and I understand. But I pray that somewhere in the midst of that, you've actually been able to find joy in being with your family more. I hope you've actually found joy in spending time with each other more or being able to maybe spend some time with your spouse that you wouldn't have been able to normally spend. Yesterday, we were putting down some laminate flooring in the kitchen and Josiah wanted to help me. Would it have been a lot easier to do it without him? Yes. Can we just be honest? Any dad knows doing a job with your nine-year-old or without, it's going to go faster without because it's just, you don't have to stop and explain. But can I tell you something? I was so glad to watch him take interest. And he got involved and he was doing it, you know. And then he got the little mallet out and I was like, hit here. Not here, here, here. Okay? Doesn't matter. I didn't buy enough. Anyway, if you walk in our kitchen, there's like a section like this that's just no new flooring. I, you know, math wasn't my biggest subject in school. But anyway, it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. Hey, look, it's, it's custom is what it is. It's unique. So, but you know, when you think about those memories you're making, that's good and great, but here's the reality. If we just stop with the world's understanding of that, and just making memories to make memories and to have warm and fuzzies, you're not really living life to the fullest, right? Because see, when I, when, I, when I see that same moment, but through the eyes of a Christian, a follower of Christ, and I say, man, I'm investing in this young man in Christ. When we add that in and we realize this is all for his glory, it brings it more to life. It's fuller of an experience. And so we in no way want to suggest that we're supposed to be monks living in a, in, in a monastery somewhere that we're separate. We just, all day we just chant and pray and chat and pray. That's not what I'm saying. But everything we do in this life should put him on display. 
As a dad, because I'm a follower of Christ first, as a dad, the way I father my children should put Christ on display. I'll be honest, it doesn't always. It doesn't always. As a husband, the way I lead my wife should put Christ on display. Just being honest, it doesn't always. So what do we do? We repent, we receive grace, and we say, God, would you give me strength to live more for you today than I did yesterday? And then stop beating yourself up for yesterday. Because you know the crazy thing about yesterday? It's gone. It's yesterday. If you, unless you know, like, Michael J. Fox, okay, and Doc Brown, Doc Emmett Brown, you can go back in time, go to the time machine and get changed, let me know. But that doesn't exist, so we can't do that. Okay? The reality is this life is short. We've given one life to live. And how do we live for God in a God-honoring way and not waste this life? Everything we do put Christ on display. And his supreme worth. And everything is about him. If we don't stop to realize the greater picture, the bigger picture for this life, and it's all meant to magnify Christ, then we will find ourselves at the end of this life empty. If you just think it's about the stuff and the things and the experiences, you're going to be empty. But when you add Christ to all those realities, now we actually live the fullness of what he desired for us. The reality is God wants you to enjoy this creation. God wants you to enjoy this life. God wants you to have joys and pleasures in this world. But everything we enjoy must be enjoyed through the lens of God's word and what honors him. That's the line between righteous living and sin. Both can bring us forms of happiness. You can sin, and and it might bring you, it'll bring you, rather, momentary happiness and joy. But it's, it's fleeting, and it's destructive, and it's damning, and it will hurt you. But when we find joy in the righteousness of God, Pastor Greg said it so well a few weeks ago, holiness and happiness are not mutually exclusive. But when I'm living for the holiness of God, desiring to please him, man, then my joy will be full. I want to look at and kind of close with Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. I'm just going to read it for us, and then we're going to be uh, spending some time in prayer and invitation. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 9 through 10 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, in addition to that, would be there's more of Christ. The more I live in and understand my weakness, the more of Christ in my life I will experience because I'm depending on him. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, hear me now, this is what Paul's saying, I'm going to live in my weakness. Whatever my weakness is, whatever I'm going through, whatever it is, I'm content because I'm going to display Christ in all of it. He says this, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness. I'm content with my weaknesses. I'm content with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And how are we strong? We're not strong in us. We're strong in Christ. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you content, as Paul was content, that no matter what you go through, Are you satisfied in the truth that your life is in his hands? If you are here this morning and you've not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, then let me just encourage you with this. Your life could be so much more. And I'm not saying it's all going to get better. One thing we learned from Paul's life is his life physically in the flesh got worse. 
Some people will tell you, well, you should get saved and receive Christ because he'll make your life better. No, no, no. We should receive Christ because he will give you life. So the reality is if you don't know Christ, the Bible says you aren't even really living. Ephesians chapter 2, it's all of our testimony. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But then God, through his grace, through Jesus Christ in the gospel, quickened us, made us alive. And that when we receive Christ, we become living creatures. And then we're set for his heaven, forgiven of all sin, past, present, and future. And now we can live in a way that honors him. And we can enjoy this life to the fullest. See, the opposite of receiving Christ is death, eternal death, separation from God in a place called hell. And my challenge to all of us this morning is, is do you know Christ? Not do you go to church, not have you prayed a prayer, not have you been baptized. Do you know Christ? Have you received Christ for yourself? And if you have, then live this life for him because you only got one. But if you have not, then maybe this morning you would receive Christ. Cry out to him, confess your sins, ask him to save you. There is no one too far gone. There is no sin that can't be forgiven. His grace is sufficient. And for any of you that are struggling right now to think, man, I need to live for him in a more efficient way. I need to, I need to be on fire for him. I need to, this is not a rah, 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 emotional fire up message. This is what will happen sometimes after messages like this. Somebody will get fired up. I'm going to go live for Jesus, okay? We used to call this camp messages because this is what happened at camp and youth group. Kids would get all fired up. They come home six weeks later. They weren't even in church. Because emotion wanes. Emotions come and go. It's great to be fired up for Jesus Christ, and I pray that you are. I pray that you go from here just excited to live for him and tackle this week. But don't let emotion lead you. Let truth lead you. This is his life that you're living by the power of God in you. And so let's live this life for him because we only got one. Let's not waste it, but let's put him on display. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, you know my heart. I pray that this morning has been an encouragement to someone here. Father, I, I, I don't know how else to say it. My words are so weak. Uh, I fail in my words constantly. I can't put it into words, what you're, what you're leading us to understand, but I'm so thankful that I don't have to. That, Lord, you gave us your word, and it specifically tells us that this life is a vapor. Lord, that vapor is is the steam that appears over boiling water. And the space of our life is the time it takes from us to see that steam before it dissipates into the air. It's a short time. It may not feel like a short time. I know, Lord, some of us, uh, we think, well, it's, I've lived a full life. It's been a long life. But, Lord, when we think about shortness of life, we're not thinking time. We're thinking in, in, in a perspective of eternity. When we compare this life with eternity, Lord, it is, it is short. And I pray that we are living with eternity in mind. Lord, we can enjoy the moments. Oh God, there are so many good moments. I think about just yesterday, the beautiful weather. Your wonderful creation. Lord, it sounds silly, but uh, I love the smell of fresh cut grass this time of year. And it just... As silly as that is, Lord, to just get out on the lawnmower and just enjoy those moments. I'm so thankful that we can worship you in those moments. And I know you want us to enjoy creation and to enjoy them, the moments, and I pray that we would. But I pray that we would enjoy them in light of the bigger picture, that we've been given one life to live, and I pray that we would live it for your glory. Lord, I know that there are many things going on around us. <laughs> our culture, our country, our state, 
But Lord, there are so many that are filled with fear, confusion, uncertainty, and doubt. But Lord, can we be honest for a moment? That's nothing new. Lord, people living in fear didn't just happen three months ago. Lord, people living with uncertainty about what the future holds didn't just happen three months ago. Uh, So, Lord, for those of us that were surprised by the way people were acting, Lord, maybe we weren't paying attention, but there's only one hope. There's only one answer. That's in Jesus Christ. So why are we so surprised when people who don't have Jesus are reacting in the way they are? Lord, maybe, just maybe rather than judging them and condemning them, just maybe, Lord, we'd share the gospel with them. Maybe, Lord, we'd see them with your eyes. Maybe we realize that they're in need of a Savior just like we were and still are. Lord, may you be glorified in all of this. Lord, I I just want your name to go forth. So, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for forgiving me where I've fallen short in living this life for you. Thank you for encouraging all of us with your grace and reminding us of the, the repentance that's available to turn. Lord, I love the letters in the beginning of the book of Revelation to the churches that you wrote to And I love that in in so many of them you say, to him that has an ear, let him hear. We could turn from the way we were living. You are a God of great opportunity for repentance. You're always offering to us grace. And I pray if there's anyone in this room right now or listening to this on the recording that is in need of repenting and turning to you, may you just work in their heart. Convict them of sin and righteousness that they would come to know Christ or live for you. Father, we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to be dismissed with a time of invitation. If you'd like to come and pray, uh, we welcome you to do that. Obviously, we would ask that uh, if somebody is praying at the altar, um, be respectful of that. You can go ahead and stand, actually. Um, so stand with us. Um, but if someone's at the altar praying, um, I would ask that if you go to pray at the altar, just make sure you're not right on top of that person. I just give a little space. Um, but let's just spend some time with the Lord this morning. Respond to what he's doing in our lives. And if God is working in your heart in some way to come and pray and say, God, I want to live this one life for you, may you respond to him as he is leading us as we sing a song of invitation this morning.